Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. This talk was recorded live at the Pastoral Refreshment Conference in 2009. The speaker is Andrew Page on the subject of growing in discipleship. There was so much grace in the place, and of course in the Word of God, that I just thought, this is wonderful. So it's a great honour for me to be back and to be wired up again. Thank you. Um, and uh, it's been great for me, um, a great privilege for me to be allowed to talk about Mark's Gospel as well. Um, some people have even started learning Mark's Gospel. Jenny Brown knows uh, section one off by heart. So I'm not going to ask her to say it now, um, but you do talk, do talk to her afterwards. Embarrass her over a lunch and ask her to say section one. And Tim, who's been running our bookstore for us, where are you, Tim? Um, he learned section three in 10 minutes uh, last night and still knows it now. Uh, ask him. I, it's just such a great thing to have the word of God inside us because we can then do Bible study in the shower without getting our Bibles wet. Now, how good is that? I think it's just very exciting. But obviously, you're all looking at me <laughs> as if I'm a complete half-wit. I'm sorry about that. Um, and it's been a, a, a privilege to talk about this subject as, of leaders as disciples. And I say again what I said at the beginning uh, on Wednesday. If we think we, can, we, we graduate from being disciples to being leaders, then we really are in trouble. If we want to be leaders that God can use, then we need to stay as disciples following Jesus. And that means looking at Jesus and listening to Jesus and loving Jesus. And if we want to help other people to be leaders, one of the essential things is that we're going to be helping them to be disciples, to understand what it means to follow Jesus. So we're coming to our third session. The first session was called The Joy of Discipleship, and the greatest joy is knowing Jesus. The second session was The Struggles of Discipleship, and this third session is called Growing in Discipleship. And what we're going to do is just look at three main themes out of section five and section six of the gospel. So if you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 11, that would be great. We've prayed already. Uh, let's keep praying. Let's keep doing two things at once. Let's keep talking to the Lord while we're listening to his word and reading his word. The whole place can be full of worship uh, now, continuing from the singing. Isn't it great? Are you talking to God? Isn't it exciting that we can do that? Well, I'm excited about it. First uh, theme we're going to look at, which is absolutely essential for growing in discipleship, I'm not going to say what it is yet, but it's at the beginning of uh, section 5. It's at the beginning of chapter 11. So have a look at it with me. You know this story of the triumphal entry. It's in all four Gospels. Uh, it's this great uh, story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. You really don't need to write, copy this stuff down as long as you buy the book. I don't know. It's so much simpler. And maybe you're not buying the book because you think my holiday home in the south of France is being built on the back of the sales of the book. It's not true. I don't get any money from the book at all, so feel free. Right, I'm back, in, I'm back at the triumphal entry again. 
There is one element in Mark's account of the triumphal entry that is not there in Matthew's account, and not there in Luke's account, and not there in John's account. And if we were reading this account for the first time, it would make us curious. Let me read from verse 9. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now that last bit is not in the other Gospels. Before he goes out to Bethany to spend the night, he goes into the temple and has a look round. Now I really don't think this is tourism. He is looking for something. And if we're reading this for the first time, we're thinking, what is Jesus looking for in the temple? So we go on into the next section. Uh, Verse 12. I should say verses 12 to 21 are another Mark sandwich. There is fig tree in verse 12 and fig tree in 20 and 21. And in the middle, there's the clearing of the temple. So um, if you were uh, into Mark's sandwiches and you realize that Mark's fillings always had something to do with Mark's pieces of bread, then you might draw the conclusion that the fig tree had something to do with the temple, which is the headquarters of Judaism in the first century. And you'd be right. There are texts in the Old Testament that use the fig tree as an image for the people of God, Israel. Um, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13 is one of them that I happen to have learnt off by heart. I Just the reference, I can't quote it. <laughs> verse 12, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from, fruit from you again. He's talking to a tree. And his disciples heard him say it. Jesus goes up to the fig tree and he is looking for something. Just as in verse 11, when he first got to Jerusalem, he went into the temple and was looking for something. What's he looking for? He's looking for fruit. And because there's no fruit on the fig tree, he curses the fig tree. What's the fruit he was looking for in the temple? Well, you could say it's the fruit of the people of God loving God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And you'd be right. Or the fruit is the people of God loving others. Love your neighbor as yourselves. It could be the fruit of holy living. But there is actually one specific fruit he's looking for more than anything else. So let's look at the middle of the sandwich. Verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area, began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves that would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Here it is now. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The fruit that he was looking for more than anything else was prayer. That's what he was looking for in verse 11. That's what he was thinking of when he was riding into Jerusalem on the the donkey. Is the fruit of prayer going to be there in the temple, in the headquarters of the people of God? And he went in in verse 11 and there wasn't prayer. 
There were a lot of other stuff. There were lots of leaves, but there wasn't fruit. This fruit, prayer, an expression of a relationship between the people and God. It wasn't there. And so he clears the temple out. The cursing of the fig tree is a visible message of judgment. Let's look, look at the other piece of bread, verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. As if he's expecting Jesus to say, oh, it worked. <laughs> well, it's extraordinary, isn't it? But that's what we're like, we disciples. And then what does Jesus do? What's he going to teach about? Well, it's obvious he's going to teach about prayer. It's what this whole block A is about in one way. Well, it's the, the major theme is prayer. This is the fruit God is longing for in his people. So verse 22, have faith in God, Jesus answered. And there are two conditions for answered prayer according to Jesus in this passage. First of all, faith in verses 23 uh, and 24. And secondly, right relationships, forgiveness, if people have hurt us. And if we have faith, and if we have forgiven those who have hurt us, then God will hear our prayers and answer them. It's an old evangelical cliche, but I think it's absolutely right, like most evangelical cliches. What we don't, we, we don't need great faith in God. What we need is a faith in a great God. And it really is true. Open your eyes and look at Jesus. How great is our God? And then it becomes easier to pray. So the first theme is prayer. And if we're going to grow as disciples, we need to be praying people. And I have to say, sometimes I stop. I mean, I keep going with the sort of the minimum stuff. And the stuff I have to do publicly. But there are times when my prayer life is not exactly bubbling. And yet Jesus is longing for me to pray. Um, I have to be careful here because I know that as a preacher, I know that if you want to make um, the church feel guilty, you know, it, and you think, you know, effective praying is just leaving everybody feeling absolutely awful and ghastly, then preach in the wrong way about prayer and you can do it and everybody's absolutely crushed and you think, oh, fantastic feeling. I have crushed everybody. <laughs> and that's not what I want to do. That's not what the, the word of God wants us to do. Jesus is saying, if you've stopped praying recently, start again. If you've been feeling crushed by circumstances in your ministry, in your church, maybe you're disappointed by others, Maybe you're disappointed by yourself, in yourself. Maybe you're even disappointed by God. Start praying again. Start praying again and you will, you will experience the Holy Spirit making your relationship with God through Jesus alive again. And as you begin to pray, you will begin to pray. And as you begin to pray, you will begin to pray. And as you begin to pray, you begin to pray. And as you, you get the idea. And we're doing it now, aren't we? 
is one of the proofs that we're Christians. One of the first things that um, Jesus said to Ananias when he sent him to Paul, who was blind in Damascus, he said, go to him, go to him and lay hands on, on him, for he is praying. Now, this man had prayed lots of prayers in his life before, very religious man, Pharisee of the Pharisees, but now for the first time in his life, he was really praying. Because now he had a relationship with God through Jesus. So that's the first thing. Let's start praying again. Let's, de- let's take the next step in the life of prayer, whatever the Holy Spirit has in mind for us here. But let's go on growing as prayers. And this theme of prayer is incredibly important. Have a look just at chapter 14, please. Turn into section 6. Um, look at chapter 14. Verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And uh, Jesus says, stay here and keep watch. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We were looking at that last night. We're not going to spend long on this. Wasn't it moving last night to see the brokenness of Jesus for us? And then look at verse 37. Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Peter has to pray if he's not going to fall into temptation. But Peter doesn't watch. And Peter doesn't pray. This is incident C. Look at incident C1, chapter 14, verse 66. Chapter 14, verse 66, or verse 68. He denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Verse 70, again, he denied it. Verse 71, he began to call down curses on himself. I understand that to mean that that means he was saying, God, curse me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. The link between incident C and C1 is that in incident C, Jesus prays three times. And in in incident C1, Peter denies three times. But there is this deeper link. In incident C, Jesus says, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. But Peter doesn't watch and pray. And so in incident C1, Peter falls to temptation and blows it. So it is so dangerous if we're not praying. So let's take the next step. Let's be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through his word and encouraging us to start praying again or to move on into the next step of prayer. That was the first theme, prayer. Second theme I want us to look at is the cross. And we're going to do this very briefly because we focused on the cross last night. Maybe I should just introduce you to block B here in section six. Um, just, just to tell you what, how I think that is structured, here are eight incidents in block B here, and they're in pairs. It's very easy to remember, section six. Um, after the Last Supper, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Jesus prays in Gethsemane and is arrested there. 
While Jesus is being cross-examined by the high priest, Peter is in the courtyard outside denying him. And Jesus is condemned to death by the Roman governor and crucified by Roman soldiers. But the whole of that block B is about the love of Jesus. Every incident there is about the, about the love of Jesus. And if you look particularly at incidents A and A1, it's very clear what they've got in common. Incident A explains incident A1. The Last Supper explains the cross. I mean, that's, isn't that why we've been told to celebrate communion regularly? Because it explains the cross. It reminds us about the meaning of the cross. And that's what we experienced last night. It was such a joy for me to experience the Lord's Supper last night without having a leadership responsibility. I have to say, I felt this is just great. This is very freeing. And it was very moving. So look down with me at chapter 14, verse 23. Uh, 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Incidentally, verse 25 is Jesus talking about the Messianic banquet, which we had a preview of with the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. But is Jesus offering them the bread and the wine? And once, once heard John Stott say, and I found it very helpful explaining things to people in, a, in the Austrian culture, but I find it helpful for me anyway, we don't believe, I, w- I won't do it with the accent, I'll just say it, say the words. We, we don't believe in transubstantiation. We believe in transsignification. In other words, it is just bread. It is just wine. But it's not just bread and just wine. It has a new significance for us. Because it's pointing us to the body and the blood of Jesus. And if we are going to be disciples for all the years God gives us, if we're not going to give up, we, we must make sure that we do not move away from the cross. I'm so thankful for these songs that, that have been written in the last few years, which really help us to focus on the meaning of the cross. Because when I was a student in the 70s, um, and the, there were lots of new worship songs around. Some of them were very good, but there were actually very few which were cross-centered. And I thank God that we've got songs that are cross-centered, and we need to be living lives that are cross-centered if we're going to be disciples of Jesus. We must not move away from the cross. We don't outgrow the cross. We mustn't get bored by the cross. We mustn't be ashamed of preaching about the cross. We mustn't be embarrassed by the fact that we're we're again drawing the attention of other Christians to the message of the cross. It's the center of Christianity. We must not lose that. You know this preacher's example of, trouble is using examples here, 
There are lots of people, preachers, non-preachers, all sorts of people here who use these examples all the time. Um, the, the, the fact that people wear a little cross around their necks, which is really nice, I have no objection to it at all. And sometimes it, I think it would be nice to get a, another a sort of chain necklace made and not to have a little cross on it, but a little electric chair. And I'd put it on and I'd look forward to the first conversation. When someone would say, that's a lovely necklace, Andrew. I can't quite see what that is. That, what's that little thing on there hanging on there? Very nice. What is it? And I would smile and say, isn't it lovely? It's an electric chair. And they'd be shocked, of course. <laughs> but of course, the cross is the electric chair of the first century. And this is the center of our faith. And we must not move away from this. This is this, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Took the blame. Bore the wrath. We find forgiveness at the cross. Let's commit ourselves before the Lord to remaining cross Christians, if you know what I mean. Really saying, this is the centre of my faith. We're going to preach Christ and him crucified, and I'm going to follow a Jesus who was crucified. Yes, who rose again, hallelujah, but he was crucified. That's why he came. And I'm not going to move away from that. The Last Supper, the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it doesn't just remind our minds of what Jesus did for us. It also reminds our souls and our spirits what Jesus did for us. So that was the second theme I wanted to draw his attention to. The first one was prayer. The second one is the cross. And the third one is love. And I want to just say a little bit about block A and block C, because if block B is all about the love of Jesus, block A and block C have significant content about other people loving Jesus. There's a woman in block A, and there's a man in block C. There's a woman in block A who anoints Jesus with the perfume oil, and there's a man in block C who gives up his grave and who goes publicly to the authorities and comes out as a follower of Jesus. And being a disciple means expressing our love for Jesus. It means following him out of love, serving him out of love. Um, Mark doesn't tell us the name of this woman uh, at Bethany who anoints Jesus. Uh, John does, but Mark doesn't. He wants us to concentrate not on her identity, but on her love. And she comes and she does this thing, and it's so shocking to people. And then Jesus says in verses 6 to 9, why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing. Jesus is delighted when disciples show their love for him. He says she's done the right thing. The poor you will always have with me and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. It was the right thing to do at that time. 
It was a prophetic thing. Verse 8, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Maybe somehow she sensed and understood that Jesus was going to die. And verse 9, I love verse 9. Verse 9, Jesus says it was an unforgettable thing. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, What she has done will also be told in memory of her. That's like Jesus is saying, I'm going to make sure this gets into the New Testament. Because that's the way it gets known in all the world, isn't it? It's like he's saying, I'm going to make sure it gets in the New Testament. And he did, and it is. Now, why this incident? I mean, can you think of other incidents where Jesus says something like that in verse 9? I think Jesus is delighted by extravagant acts of love. Because, of course, he has come to Jerusalem to commit the most extravagant act of love anyone could ever show by dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And so he is delighted when we show our love for him. I I don't know. It's always difficult to know how to apply this I've got an illustration. Well, I'm not sure it really works. You know the old advert from probably 30 years ago um, of the young woman walking down the street and there's a young man who sees her and runs into a flower shop and buys some flowers and runs after her and gives her the flowers and then runs off. So he's not trying to pick her up. He's not trying to go for a date. He just wants to give her the flowers. That seems to me to be a bit of weak illustration. Um, maybe we should think, can think of something better. But something extravagant, something that, I mean, she was surprised. I know we can't surprise the Lord with our extravagant acts of love, but maybe we could surprise ourselves with an extravagant act of love for Jesus. Maybe it's worth asking for wisdom from the Holy Spirit, what we might do. So not just the daily discipleship of following Jesus, but something off the wall, something Yeah. And then look at Joseph in block C. This takes real courage. Um, I'm in chapter 15, verse 43, 42. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate, and asked for Jesus' body. This takes huge courage. I think he's been a secret disciple. And now he is, here he is, outing himself publicly and saying, I belong to Jesus, I love Jesus. And it does take courage to do that. Especially for this man who probably had a lot more to lose than we do. He's going to Pilate and he's saying, I love Jesus. Can I have the body? And other people are going to get to hear about this. So that's why I've called this whole section six, the love. In block B, you've got Jesus' love for us. And in block A and block C, you've got two people's love for Jesus. Let's be disciples who love Jesus, not just who do the right thing, who stick to the rules who are good evangelical Christians, good servants of Jesus, 
Let's be people who love Jesus. And I know is that you can't switch this on. The best way to get, to get into block A or to block C is to spend time in block B. The more you look at Jesus' love for you, the more you will find you loving Jesus. Which is exactly what John writes in his first letter. We love him because he loved us first. Let's be known as people who love Jesus. So those are the three themes that I I think it's very helpful if we think and pray about if we want to grow as disciples. Prayer, the cross, and love. But before we finish, I want to read you something from chapter 16. And you may prefer not to look at chapter 16 for a moment and just listen to me. I just want to say something at the end about the resurrection. We know this. We know the story that the women go to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. Interestingly, in every section of Mark's gospel in this structure, block A and block C always have something in common. And in section six, it's anointing. There's an anointing in block A. And there's an anointing in block C when the women go to the tomb. Except the second anointing doesn't take place. Because the resurrection makes it impossible and unnecessary. I think that's cool. But the women come to the tomb and then the angel meets them. Let me read to you. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, did you notice that I missed out two words of the angel's message? I'll read you the sentence again. These are, the, I think, the best two words in the whole of Mark's Gospel. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples he is going ahead of you into Galilee. In fact, what the angel says is, go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. Now, this is extraordinary. If the women, when they finally got round to being obedient... When they, if the women had gone to the disciples and said, look, Jesus is alive, he's going ahead of you to Galilee, he says you could go and you'll meet him there, they would have all have got up and gone to Galilee except for one, Peter, who would have been sitting there with his head in his hands saying, he doesn't want me. He doesn't mean me. I blew it. I didn't watch. I didn't pray. I fell to temptation. I denied Jesus. He doesn't mean me. So can you imagine this? When Jesus, the risen Jesus, is giving this message to the angel for the women, Jesus says to the angel, make sure that you say 
and Peter. You must say and Peter. And I can almost imagine the, the angel saying, tell the disciples, and Peter, and then, and then the women go, and the angel thinking, yeah, I got it right, I did it. It's so important, isn't it? This is grace. This is Jesus' message to Peter, through the angel, through the women, there is forgiveness, there's a new start. Peter, stand up. Receive my forgiveness, start again. Oh, you've messed up, and oh, you felt it was all over, and you felt there was no future for you, there was no hope. And Peter. The best two words in Mark's Gospel. And Philip. And Sarah. Put your name in there. Everybody is included. That is grace. I was talking to a a girl in Austria, a student, and she was telling me that um, God couldn't use her. And she was a Christian. She was a lovely Christian. In fact, two of her friends had become Christians, which by Austrian standards counts as a major revival. And um, I thought, well, why does she think God can't use her? What's her image of God? And I said to her, can I ask you a multiple choice question? And she looked about as interested as most of you do now. And she said, yes, okay. So I said, okay, here's the multiple choice question. I'll ask you the question and I'll give you four possible answers and you tell me which answer you think is right. So she said, okay. So I said, when God thinks of you, what is his overwhelming reaction? Here are the four answers. Frustration. Irritation. Joy, anger. And she looked at me and she smiled a little and she said, well, I know what you think I should say. So I said, but you don't feel you could say that. And she said, no. And we talked on a little bit more. And then I suddenly thought, hang on, what does she think my answer would have been? So I said to her, hang on, what do you think my answer would have been? And she said, frustration. And the reason she hadn't given that answer was she thought the answer was irritation. Now, if I hadn't hadn't discovered that, I'd have been telling her to read the Bible more and pray more, that she had the feeling whenever she picked up the Bible, whenever she started praying, she was irritating God because she wasn't good enough. Now, when God thinks of Andrew Page, I guess there's probably some frustration. Some of you are even nodding a little. (laughs) But the answer is always overwhelmingly joy. Isn't that wonderful? It's true and the cross is the proof. And and Peter is the proof. And when God looks at you, his his feeling is always overwhelmingly joy. Because you are his child. He loves you. He saved you. He delights in you. He sings over you. This is a love that will not let you go. However we are feeling, whatever we're feeling about going back into our ministries. Jesus is coming with us and saying, and Peter, and you, and you, 
and you. One last story, and then I will stop. Um, do you know this story about the the, the uh, judge who uh, had the job of going around? He was a circuit judge and had to go to various towns um, to hear cases and give judgments. And uh, in one town, um, he stayed with some friends one time. And the friends said, look, it's great that you're staying with us. Do you mind if we come to the courtroom one day and just see you in action? Listen to a case. And he said, fine. And... Uh, so the friends came and they enjoyed the day, but it was something very strange about the day. There was one lawyer who was incredibly rude to the judge. Everything he said was rude to the judge. And they ex kept expecting the judge to throw this lawyer out of the courtroom, but he just didn't react to it at all. And they thought this was very puzzling. So at the meal that evening, they were eating with the, the judge, and they said to the judge, thank you, we really enjoyed the day today, it was fascinating, but we thought that lawyer was so rude why didn't you chuck him out? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you, I don't know, whatever, lock him up? And the judge put his knife and fork down and said, now listen. In my town at home, there's a widow. And she has a dog. And when there's a full moon, the dog comes into the yard behind the house and barks at the moon. And the judge picked up his knife and fork and carried on eating. <laughs> and the friend said, sorry, I don't think we're quite getting this. Um, there's a widow and she's got a dog and when there's a full moon, the dog comes out into the yard and barks at the moon. What happens next? And the judge looked up and said, the moon carries on shining. Sometimes we bark at the grace of God. Sometimes we let God down. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we get bitter against God. And that screws us up even more. But the moon keeps on shining. And if you want to grow in your conviction that that's true, and you want to experience that in your life as a disciple, then keep looking at Jesus, keep listening to Jesus, and keep loving Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving a review on your podcast app to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. You'll find us on any major social media platform at Living Leaders or visit our website www livingleadership.org where you'll also find more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. God bless.